You're listening to the COVID-19 Update, a podcast from the CSIS Global Health Policy Center focused on the science and policy implications of the outbreak. I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and I'm joined by my colleague, Steve Morrison, to discuss the latest on COVID-19. Andrew and I are delighted today to again be able to host for this podcast Christina Box, State Health Commissioner, State of Indiana. Welcome, Christina. Welcome back. Thank you. Judy Monroe, President and CEO of the CDC Foundation, also co-chair of the Indiana Governor's Commission on Public Health, which is the subject of our discussion today. Welcome, Judy. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. Great to join you. Let's start, Christina. Perhaps you could start by just explaining to our listeners this initiative, the commission that Governor Holcomb called uh, you to lead on public health. This is quite unusual. Not a lot of states have chosen to do this, and it's a bit of a standout, and, and it's one of the reasons why we wanted to come and have this conversation with you today. So why Indiana? I would have to say, why not, after we've been through this pandemic, right? You know, Indiana has a history uh, with our past governors and legislators of really tackling big issues here in the state and investing in the infrastructure that's needed to address whatever the issue is, whether that is education, K through 12, or our institutes of higher education, or the growth of our economy and how we attract more businesses, or our infrastructure and roads and bridges, because we're, of course, the crossroads of America. But most importantly, When we do focus on a particular goal here in the state of Indiana, we have been actually very successful, as evidenced by many of the achievements we can count in the above areas. Indiana, like many states, has invested poorly in public health infrastructure in the past, both at the state and the local level. And during the pandemic, it really shined a light, a spotlight on the consequences of that poor investment. Governor Holcomb clearly saw that in many of the cases, our public health personnel really lacked the resources and the skilled workforce, the training that they needed to be able to respond to the pandemic. I really credit the governor for being willing to tackle this, what he sees as being that next big investment that needs to be made here in the state of Indiana in infrastructure so that Indiana continues to be, as he always says, where people want to live, work, play, study, and stay. And when the governor established the Governor's Public Health Commission in August of 2021, he was incredibly wise to choose our former Senator Luke Kinley, who is a longtime fiscal leader from our legislature here in Indiana and our former State Health Commissioner Judy Monroe, as you know, who's now the CEO of the foundation for CDC. Thank you, Christina. Judy, could you, as one of the co-chairs, could you please describe the charge that you received in joining to co-chair this commission and the key members, which include uh, someone very close to our heart, former Congresswoman Susan Brooks, and tell us a little bit about the work streams and how, how you went about doing the research and the presentation for meetings. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. So first of all, the charge to the commission uh, had several components. The top ones that I particularly really appreciated was analyzing Indiana's current public health system to identify both the strengths and the weaknesses, really a systems approach here. Um, and then to uh, take a look at the uh, performance of the state and uh, local health departments during COVID-19 and analyze that. And then we were charged with identifying ways to improve the delivery of public health services throughout the state. The funding challenge for the state's public health system and ways to address those challenges. We were asked for ways to promote health equity and ways to ensure the sustainability of our local health departments 
as well as ways to improve the responses to future public health emergencies. Um, and so we did that. And then all of that, we were asked to identify legislative proposals uh, to address the commission's findings and recommendations uh, and issue a report that's now public from the commission and is out there. And so the way we went about it, I, my hat's off to everyone that, that worked hard on the work streams. We had uh, a lot of support from academia, from the Fairbanks School of Public Health and other experts in the state that did a, a deep dive into the work streams, uh, including governance, infrastructure and services, public health funding and financing, workforce, data and information integration, emergency preparedness, and child and adolescent health. And so the commission was meeting once a month in person. Uh, I think we only had one virtual meeting. And we would meet in person. Um, and the, the beauty of the commission, every member of the commission was appointed by the governor. We did have Congresswoman Susan Brooks as our citizen advisor uh, that worked uh, closely with the co-chairs uh, and with Dr. Box as the secretary of the commission. And then what I also appreciated about the, the appointments on the commission is that it represented the state geographically. We had some elected officials, such as mayors and county commissioners, uh, that were represented. You had the Indiana Minority Health Coalition. You had healthcare associations like the Hospital Association uh, that were represented. And um, and so it was it was a tremendous mix of, of commission me members that really came together in a really serious uh, fashion to hear those reports uh, being reported out each month on those work streams. Thank you. Over to Andrew. Thanks, Steve. Um, Dr. Box, Dr. Monroe, it's so great to be with you today. I wanted to ask you, you know, Indiana is nearly last in environmental health among the states, 35th in mental health. Indiana has the 38th highest infant mortality rate in the U.S., 41st in early adult mortality, 40th in obesity. Those aren't good numbers. You have great numbers on education and affordability of education. But the numbers that you're seeing in terms of public health in Indiana are, are not satisfactory, of course. So amid all the polarization surrounding public health, and obviously you have these numbers you want to turn around, how do you deal with government intervention at the state level when so many citizens have become polarized over these very issues that we're talking about? And most people wouldn't say, oh, well, you know, we want to be you know, high in infant mortality, we want to, you know, we want to reduce that. But because public health has become so polarized, is that a huge challenge for you all in implementing the, the results of this commission's plan? Well, I think the way that we have approached this is, as you say, many of our legislators, many of our, certainly our healthcare providers across the state are aware of the very poor health metrics that the state of Indiana has, whether that is our high smoking and obesity rates or our high, higher, as you mentioned, infant mortality and maternal mortality, our low childhood immunization rates. And, and we have brought that forward every year legislatively. But what many of our legislators, businesses, not-for-profit organizations, and even healthcare systems we're not aware of is that in the state of Indiana, we have actually been uh, seeing a decreasing life expectancy since 2010. When we look at our life expectancy in 2019 of 77 years, that's almost two years below the U.S. average and placed us 40th in the nation. And there are significant disparities in that life expectancy across our counties, even here within the state of Indiana. 
When we look at that life expectancy decline, it's actually been in our working age Hoosiers, 25 to ages 64. So when you're looking at a state that's very invested in its economy and its growth, its business growth, we have, as you, as I mentioned earlier, invested a great deal in our education system. It's been a real eye-opener for our legislators to see this differences uh, in the healthcare and how it plays out in life expectancy. It also contributes to the higher healthcare costs, which our employers obviously are paying across the state and a less healthy workforce that they can count on to be able to provide the workforce they need for their businesses across the state and threatens really our economic prosperity across the state of Indiana. You know, when we talk about the investment in public health in the state of Indiana, we are, one thing you did mention, 45th in the nation, and that used to be 48th traditionally, but we've actually been investing in infant and maternal health and have actually improved that infant mortality rate significantly over the past four to five years. But Indiana invests about $55 per capita in state for public health uh, funds and around the nation, that's usually averages about $91 in 2019. So that's a gap of, of about $240 million. That's a lot. When we look at our 90 health departments, 90 of our 94 actually have a revenue that's coming into them that's less than the U.S. 25th percentile less than $23 per person. And that speaks a lot to what our local public health people have to be actually able to invest in workforce and um, the public health services. So I think our legislators truly understand that in order to be able to have the economic prosperity and growth that we wanna see, we're gonna to have to lower healthcare costs and improve the health of our workforce by investing in prevention and making sure that Hoosiers actually have the access to care for mental health and physical health that they need to achieve that goal. Thank you very much. As part of our kind of baseline starting point for this, could you just give us a high level on each of the work streams in terms of key findings and recommendations? So when we looked at the six different work streams, our first one was governance, infrastructure, and services. And specifically, we looked at how that was governed. We are a home rule state, which is basically a decentralized state, and feel very strongly as we were talking, Andrew, about the fact that there's a lack of trust of public health. Many people see public health as strictly being mask mandates and vaccine mandates, when in reality, public health has been here for 100 years or more and, and invests so much more uh, in keeping the individuals Hoosiers across our state healthy. So really defining what are those core public health services that need to be available at every county level, and then how do we augment or supplement that at the regional or district level with things that are more difficult, like data analytics, legal consultation, accreditation or reaccreditation, the ability to be able to apply for more grants and then answer those grants. And then when we looked at funding, we heard clearly that it, it needs to not just be increased funding across the state of Indiana, but they need to be able to count on that funding year after year. It needs to be a consistent funding and an accessible funding to them to be able to use. Workforce, workforce was an issue across the state of Indiana and the United States, both clinically and for public health before the pandemic. And we all know that that's been significantly exacerbated throughout the pandemic. And importantly, what we wanna be able to do is, and are, have already started was an internal workforce assessment here at the Department of Health and an external workforce assessment for our public health and bringing that together with the already amazing clinical workforce assessment we have into a entire health workforce plan for the state of Indiana as to how we actually are able to recruit and retain and train more healthcare professionals. 
We also looked at data collection, integration, and analysis, and the ability to be able to integrate data from all sources, from our local health departments, from our hospital systems, from our health information systems, to our long-term care, and our mental health and substance use disorder systems. Bring that all together so we can address population health. And then protecting that uh, health information is very, very clear that we heard that in our listening tours around the state of Indiana. Emergency preparedness, in Indiana, we had a shortage of EMS and the ability to even be able to respond, to move people to a higher level of care or respond to all the 911 calls. So how do we better recruit and train and uh, retain those EMS professionals across the state of Indiana? And how do we better define roles and responsibilities going forward across the state so everyone is working and rowing in the same direction immediately when the next emergency comes up. I think, uh, importantly, making sure that we have our own state strategic stockpile of personal protective equipment and the ability to have those medical countermeasures. And lastly, and I always say certainly not least, is how do we better prepare and integrate public health with child and adolescent health? specifically in our school systems, making sure that those mandatory or those statutory required screenings are being accomplished, that we improve that school nurse ratio to students, um, and that we make sure we're adding in healthcare training and education around obesity and activity and less screen time and and um, how to train more resilient kids across the state of Indiana. So we feel it's very, very important in those six areas and have really addressed that um, across the state. Let's turn to the question around the environment in which this unfolded, which is one of our early questions. Over to Andrew on this. Dr. Monroe, how did you find the situation politically as you all went about this? Was there much partisan rancor that you had to deal with? And how did you get through that? Yeah, thanks for the question. And first of all, it, you know, it's been a tough time for our country, right? And tough time for public health across the entire country. So every state has dealt with the question you're asking one way or another. One of the things that the commission very thoughtfully approached this issue by being very public, for starters. I mean, so the way the work went about helped immensely. Everything was online for, you know, videotaped. It's all archived. Everybody can watch every single commission meeting. Um, there were also an opportunity for online public comments. We grouped them together at each commission meeting, and they were reported out as the on the front end of each commission meeting. So very, a lot of transparency and welcoming the voices of the public. And then um, the other part was leaning into listening sessions across the state. I think there were seven total listening sessions that really represented geographically the state, as well as over 30 stakeholder meetings uh, that took place. And uh, my hat's off to Dr. Box and, and my co-chair, uh, Luke Kinley, Senator Kinley. They, they did the lion's share of those. I was able to participate in a few. Um, and so all of that was great. Now, if we talk about the um, listening sessions, the ones I attended, there were some citizens that came to talk to us that were had, had some anger, had some frustration, some of the comments that we received, no question. And, and we heard those and we took all those into consideration as we finalized the final commission report. I liken it, and I want to do a shout out to the governor. Uh, you know, this is a little bit like we hear about how the buffalo will run not away from the storm, but into the storm. I think the timing of this commission was exactly right. Yeah, we were in the middle of a storm, run into it. Because you know what, you get through it faster and, and just be transparent and open and honest and listen to all voices. I think it's really important. Then the other part is what Dr. Box was talking about. When you look at the issues we were addressing, 
Everyone cares about their children. I don't care where you sit politically on the spectrum. Folks care about children. They care about their own health. They care about their family's health. That's what this is about. This is about how public health works with health care and, and with all of the stakeholders and partners to really deliver for Indiana the best health possible. But Dr. Monroe, did you have to message it differently? I mean, for instance, I know in Kentucky, Governor Bashir you know, turned what was called Obamacare into Kentucky care. And then all of a sudden it became, you know, pliable. <laughs> Did you guys have to do a similar thing? And then the, you know, the other question I have is when citizens came to your meetings and you, you see that more and more now people are participating, which is a good thing. Were there concerns that you heard legitimate or were they more, you know, along the lines of conspiracy theories? So I would say there there probably were some conspiracy theories that maybe were were highlighted. But I'm a family physician. Dr. Box is a, an OBGYN. I was there really listening to understand where they were coming from, what life experiences they'd had. Um, so we were there wanting to really meaningfully, you know, under understand uh, what was happening for sure. We only listened. I will tell you. I mean, we didn't. You know, we didn't try to counter anything that we heard. Uh, so I think that was helpful to give give everybody that that opportunity. In terms of the words, words do matter. Um, so I like the example that Kentucky used. Uh, words do matter, and we were we were conscious of that. And Senator Kenley was was a voice in our in our ear about you might not want to say it this way, you might want to say it another way. And and certainly I think. In my work across the nation, uh, and even when I was state health officer in Indiana, the more local you can drive things, the, the more it matters, right? So it does matter that it, it's an Indiana commission report about the state of Indiana, and then it matters to each county how that translates for their citizens and uh, the folks that live in the county. You're uh, tapping into Hoosier pride to really, you know, get public health back on track. And every Hoosier should own it as well, right? I mean, because this, it is public health and, and it is paid for through public funding, whether that's coming from the county or the state or, or the federal government. Uh, we all own this. And so let's take pride in it. I love that. You know, it's always interesting to me when I hear, you know, physicians um, talk about the importance of delivering smart messages so people receive them. So it's really encouraging to hear that's what you guys really did with this report. Over to you, Steve. Judy, can I ask you to open up with some remarks about CDC and then ask Christina to jump in as well? Here at CSIS, we have a very active working group on CDC and measures that might strengthen its performance and raise the confidence and trust across America in the institution. It's a tough time for CDC, we know. It's a tough time for many other public health institutions. Both of you have very kindly and generously helped us with the work of that working group. Say a bit about the relationship. What is it that CDC provides to Indiana that is most important? Is there active hostility today or a distrust towards CDC? How do you strengthen the partnerships? Because CDC really is there to support state and local uh, public health authorities. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I actually, you know, when I left Indiana being the state health commissioner, I was in an at CDC, actually over the office that supported the states, uh, the Office of State, Tribal, Local, and Territorial Support. And so CDC, by design, uh, is there, one, to provide funding. So there's certainly federal funding. And in fact, 70% of CDC's budget goes out to the jurisdictions uh, one way or another. 
Um, and so there's funding. And then there's the technical assistance that CDC can offer. But, but the states have to invite CDC in. I mean, I, I, a lot of folks don't realize that. Public health authority lies at that state level. It's through the state government, the governor, the, the state health commissioner. That's where your public health authority lies in the United States. So CDC has to be invited if there's an outbreak that the state needs some additional help on or they want advice. Um, and then, of course, CDC, they gather data nationally. They put a lot of reports out. Uh, they, they obviously have a lot of guidance uh, that they, they put out the door. Uh, their MMWRs every week to capture what's happening and, and how the science is, is being formulated and, and driven and understood. There's a lot that CDC offers. CDC is an agency during this time, just like some of the health departments did have challenging circumstances during, during the pandemic. If you even look back in history and you look at misinformation and distrust, a lot of that goes way back to people being frustrated if they think their their civil liberties are being taken away. And here we are with this pandemic, with masks and you know mandates and asking people to stay home. That's what was really driving most of this. And then that opened the window for those that might be involved in conspiracy. It just opened the door to be able to ban the flames. So I think both CDC as well as health departments, as well as some physicians and you know, the medical profession uh, has had some challenging times as well during all of this time. I think it comes back to what we said. I think it's listening. I think it's relationships. I think that's how you do the healing. I don't know that um, I've traveled around the country, and quite frankly, even if I say something that might sound a little critical of CDC, I have people in the audience coming up going, oh, no, no, CDC is so important. So they, they have a lot of support from a lot of areas, uh, but obviously not everyone. Christina, could you say a few words about the uh, CDC's grant support for infrastructure within Indiana? What are the ways in which it's really making an impact in your lives? So, you know, I think that the CDC's relationship to the state of Indiana and other states is the same as my relationship to my counties, and that is that I really need to be invited in to engage. I have to have that relationship with my local public health um, departments and their communities and their elected officials in order to really be able to, as the state, be able to impact what they're doing. I will say that the CDC's workforce grant is going to allow us even if our legislators, and I don't believe they'll do this, but if they should decide not to fund or change the funding for public health at all, we will be using our workforce grant to add that layer of regional support in data analytics so that we can drive more public health decisions and planning and programming based on data. We'll be helping them to apply for more grants and, and help to be able to actually provide the data and the evidence behind that, that grant and the, and the programs that they implement. And that's really important because Indiana's last in the nation for getting CDC funding or, or grants. We're going to be able to help more local health departments in accreditation uh, and, and help them to get reaccredited. We only have have three local health departments accredited and, and our state department of health. So we want to be able to kind of raise the level uh, through FAB accreditation across the state. We're going to have a liaison to the schools so that we can show local public health how that partnership between public health and our schools can really work to the advantage of helping our students and, and many of them being the only place that they get healthcare screening for visual screening or hearing screening or making their sure their immunizations is up to date is, is through their school system. So the infrastructure grant is tremendously helpful. CDC helped us tremendously throughout the pandemic by actually giving us employees to 
build out the teams that we needed to be able to respond to this. That was incredibly important, especially with um, critical personnel, like in our labs and in data analytics. So the CDC is, is really important for evidence-based programs and policies that we can go to and we can say, oh, you're a local health department, you want to address the incidents of, for instance, overdose or the incidence of suicide in your school system, here is some good evidence-based programming through the CDC, through SAMHSA, through HRSA, whoever, so that that can be implemented at the local level. So I could go on and on about this, but I think it's important that we understand that it's about the relationship we have and that trusting relationship um, and our local communities and the state understanding it's not the CDC coming in and trying to take over, but merely being there to assist us so we can be successful in delivering public health across our state. Christina, this podcast will be published later this week. The grant is going to be announced this week. Can you give us a bit of a preview of the grant, scale of the grant? Yeah, so in the state of Indiana, we are expecting that we're going to get about $50 million over five years. And as I said, that is going to allow us to provide at least for the next three to four years that regional level of additional help here so that we can raise that level of public health services and provisions across the state. Congratulations. That's really great news. Over to you, Andrew. Thanks, Steve. Dr. Monroe, Dr. Box, the legislative cycle is unfolding. We're dealing with you know, inflation fears, we're dealing with, you know, all kinds of things in the economy that are, are changing. You've proposed in the state budget for public health to be increased by $250 million. Do you think that's likely to get through? We are incredibly optimistic that our legislators in Indiana will approve an increased funding for public health um, so that we can provide those core public health services and we can have equitable delivery of those core public health services across the state of Indiana. Whether it'll be the full 240 to 250 million, I don't know. But I wanna say this isn't just the Department of Health and our local public health people asking for this. As Judy has already mentioned, our governor is all in on this. He has said that this is going to be a very important part of his 2023 legislative agenda. And we have built a very strong coalition between our businesses, our not-for-profit organizations, our healthcare systems, and our educational institutions across the state. So we're all working with that same voice together. Now, of course, I understand that there is going to be issues with regards to the fact that we are facing inflation and probably recession and how there's an, an easiness about how that's going to affect our state and, and really, frankly, the entire United States. But the one thing we do know, that may be questionable, that may be a little ambiguous, but what's not ambiguous is if we continue down the same path in how we fund and how we resource public health in the state of Indiana, we will continue to have the same poor health metrics, we will continue to not have the healthy workforce that we need to have the economic prosperity that we have, and we will continue to have a decreasing life expectancy here in our state. And perhaps that's been delineated better than it ever has been in our state's history. So we really have, I think, great optimism here in our state that this is now, this is the time, as Senator Kenley always says, you know, there has been the time for education, there has been the time for infrastructure, there has been the time for growing our economics and our businesses. This is the time to invest in health. That's very powerful. And we wish you all the best in that. As the 2023 budget and legislative season opens, I would like to turn to Judy um, to put this all in the broader context. This Indiana Commission, we started out by saying, you know, this is pretty special. We don't see 
these commissions proliferating yet all over the country. Judy, as head of the CDC Foundation, you're talking to people all over the country who are in public health. What's the broader meaning of the Indiana Commission to, to other U.S. states and territories which are facing many of the same problems that you confronted and analyzed in this commission? And perhaps they're beginning to think in similar terms. I assume people are watching carefully from afar to see just how much progress the Indiana Commission makes. Along those lines, I am about to text our future governor of the state of Maryland, Wes Moore, that he needs to look at the Indiana Commission. So, bravo. That's a great segue. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you, Chris. I just learned because we were doing this podcast that what your plans are for the infrastructure funding. And it's so exciting to hear hear how you're going to use that and how that's really coming out of the commission's work. I mean, you know, that was uh, coming out of these deliberations. So that's one of the reasons you do these this type of work is you're ready to go when when new funding may come along. I'm going to be really optimistic here. That investment will translate into a return on investment, not only in health, but if you look at Indiana's ranking for CDC funding, a lot of that, it, it's low because you don't have enough other entities that are applying for CDC funding. If you look at states that get more funding, they have more organizations at the local level, even universities applying for CDC funding, which raises all boats. Now you've brought more of that funding into the state. So you need that workforce. The question about how important this is to the nation, the fact that Governor Holcomb took this on in such a public way, in such a, a meaningful and systematic approach is, is really the the roadmap for the rest of the country. And so I'm glad you're I'm glad you're sending it to the governor and uh, you know the folks in Maryland. I will tell you Washington state is already using this. I've heard a number of other states that are saying, "Hey, we're taking a hard look at the way Indiana approached this because we want to do the same thing in our state." I think every state, quite frankly, should have a commission and, and follow the lead. Um, and then I, I shared not long ago that the UK government has actually got a copy of it. Uh, folks have been uh, sending it even to other countries saying, take a look at the approach Indiana took. Um, so it's, it's a real tribute to the leadership. It's so important. Um, many, many reports are being done in the aftermath of the pandemic about, about what should be done. But what Indiana has done is they're showing you the roadmap for how. I mean, that's, that's why this is so important. It's the nitty gritty. It's how to do it. How much funding? Where does that funding go? How are you going to build your workforce? How are you going to build your data systems? I mean, on and on. It's fantastic. Christina, what would you like to add to that very eloquent and almost comprehensive answer that we just got from Judy? Christine. So a lot of people, you know, ask me, we're part of 21st century states and we've been with, you know, 18 different states talking about how they're doing this and, you know, to be engaged outside of the state of Indiana. But, you know, we are doing what we know needs to be accomplished for the state of Indiana. We know that we have to improve public health and access to public health, make it more equitable across the state of Indiana so that all Hoosiers have that equitable access. And so our focus truly has been here at the state level, but we have been very systematic about it. And as I've mentioned, that's the way Indiana goes about this. We attack a problem. We bring everything to bear on that problem. We bring all the right people to the table and we address it in a systematic fashion and then communicate it well. And so I expect good things to come out of this. Thank you. We end all of these podcasts with the same question, which is just quickly tell us what gives you the greatest hope and optimism looking to the future. Let's start with you, Christina, and then over to Judy. So I, I would have to say our governor, 
and his dedication and devotion to this, him taking this on in his, his second term, I think is really important and shows how important he thinks this is. And then really the people of Indiana, because when we work together, we are very successful at accomplishing whatever it is, whether it's increasing the level of education in the state of Indiana, whether it's improving our infrastructure uh, for roads and bridges, or um, whether it's as the governor has done and the teams in the past to improve attraction to businesses here. I mean, we were the state in the Midwest that had the highest growth in population with the last census. So people see a lot of good things happening here in Indiana, and we want public health and health to be one of those. Thank you. Judy, you get the last word today. So it does give me hope when I see strong, sound-minded leadership and, and rallying the coalitions like are happening in Indiana around what's going to be good for all of us. And then I'm particularly, uh, I, I derive a lot of hope from so many of the young adults and youth that I talk to across the country. They're concerned about their future, uh, but they're ready to roll up their sleeves and, and work hard and work hard for the public good. So that gives me a lot of hope. Well, thank you both for taking so much time out of your day today to share so much insight and detail. And congratulations on the work. It sounds like you're on a pathway to some very significant change. Thank you for your interest and your engagement. We appreciate it very much, Andrew and Stephen. Thanks so much. Dr. Box, Dr. Monroe, thank you so much for your time today. Indiana is now known for great public health and great jump shots. The producer of this episode is Marla Hiller. You can find our full catalog of podcasts, including Pandemic Planet and AIDS Existential Moment, on our homepage at csis.org slash podcasts.